When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. Welcome back to the show, MD Nation! We're back. This is going to be the recap for Week 14, the Sunday afternoon games. And we are so excited to go over this with you because it was the first round of the playoffs. Now we still have tomorrow's episode, which will, as always, will be the Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report, which it could be a big one. Because why? The big story of Week 14, and of course we're, we're recording this while the Sunday night game is going on and before the Monday night game. Let's record this on Sunday night, this first one. And so far, I'd have to say the headline, for fantasy football-wise anyway this week, has to be the amount of injuries we saw throughout the day were absolutely insane. And you never really want to win your matchups based on injury, but I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that the majority of the teams that were able to win their first round in the playoffs were the teams that had the players that stayed pretty much healthy. And that might have been enough. That might have been all it took for you to win your first round playoffs. Because there were so many key injuries, so many players that had carried so many teams to the playoffs in the first place that found themselves knocked out of their matchups. That there's no doubt about it, it played a major role in who won or lost your first round matchups. No doubt about it. So we're going to go through each matchup here. We're going to talk about that a little bit, talk about what it might mean, and then tomorrow's episode we'll get into the waiver wire report because also tomorrow we'll have a better idea on some of these injuries, what they actually are. And we have some updates for you on certain players like Mark Andrews and whatnot that we'll get into in a minute that we do know that maybe aren't as serious. That's the good news for some of them. Some of them, not so lucky. And we'll go through that as we do. But hopefully you guys are still in the playoff matchups. Hopefully you guys still have a chance going into tonight's Monday night game between the Eagles and the Giants, but we have a lot to get to. We're still going to be here for you guys all the way through the week like we always are, and let's go ahead and get this show underway because we have a lot of content that we got to talk about today. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become the newest member of the Belly Up Sports Network. The Belly Up Sports Network is a rising star in the sports industry. After having emerged onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a massive following with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all of the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. Go to bellyupsports.com today to join. Be bold and stand out. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. First game up that we're going to talk about in today's episode was the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. We're going to kick it off with some of that injury news that I was talking about, starting with Mark Andrews. He exited the game very early on in this one, but it turns out, we did get some word on this already, it turns out it was a thigh contusion, which means they do think he will be able to play this Thursday against the New York Jets, which is a big-time matchup. Look, Mark Andrews has been a top tight end one all season long. You're going to want him against the Jets, who are expected to still not have Jamal Adams available. And given that Mark Andrews, and I keep saying this over and over again, why I've been a big advocate of Mark Andrews all year long, he is the number one pass catcher on the number one offense in the NFL. So you're going to want him to have him that matchup. It does sound like there's a very good chance for him to play. They've already come out and said that they expect him to actually be able to go for Thursday. Of course, we will keep our eyes on this in the practice reports. Of course, you follow me along on Twitter at MDSFFshow for that player news update notification throughout the week that we will be on top of for you all the time to make sure you're getting the information you need to win your matchups. We'll be there. And this will be a big one that we'll watch, but I think he's going to be okay as of right now. So as far as this game actually goes, this was this was another game like last week where the Ravens played against a tougher defense that, relatively speaking, was able to hold Lamar Jackson in check to some degree. But this is how great Lamar Jackson is. He still gives you a 20-plus point performance in most scoring formats because he still throws her three touchdowns. He's leading the league in touchdowns. I'm sorry, second in the league in touchdowns to Jameis Winston. This guy has been on a tear. And while he only threw for 145 yards, while he only rushed for 40 in this game, he still throws you three touchdowns. He still gives you 20-plus quarterback points. So in two matchups where they face the two best defenses that they're going to face for the rest of the season, the worst he could do was 20-plus points. Lamar Jackson is going to be great against New York Jets. My only fear, fantasy-wise, for Lamar Jackson against for, for Lamar Jackson against the New York Jets this upcoming Thursday, and we'll talk about that in the preview show, of course. But would be, do they blow them out so badly halfway through the second quarter that he gets benched because there's no reason to play him anymore? That that would honestly be one of my fears, and we'll talk about that in the preview show. But this is how good Lamar Jackson is. Even in a tough match, where he relatively gets held in check. He still performs for you. Now, Mark Ingram, you knew this was going to be 
a situation because 15 carries, 50 yards. That has actually been a common stat line when he does not get the opportunity to score. If he doesn't get those big games, doesn't get those big gainers, he got the same amount of touches. He averages about 15 carries a game. So as far as his touches go, he got what he usually gets. And he had 50 yards. He always has that floor. He didn't get involved too much in the passing game. Three catches for 29 yards in this one. There weren't too many guys that involved in the passing game in general in this one, though. And he offers you a nice floor. But that's what he is. If he doesn't score, if he doesn't have one of his big play games, he's not going to give you huge production. But he has that floor every single week. And obviously against the Jets... Mark Ingram, I think, is guaranteed he has a huge game. So, better days are ahead for him. I don't think Mark Ingram puts you in a situation where he lost you your league this week. So, there's still a very good, a very good chance that you have Mark Ingram and we're still able to make a win out of this first round of the playoffs. Now, as far as pass catchers go, the only one that we had worth talking about would be Marquise Brown, who had three catches for negative two yards somehow in this game on three targets. I, you know, hopefully if you've been listening to the show, if you're a part of MD Nation, you follow along on social media, you didn't play Marquise Brown anyway. Because I told you the whole way, it wasn't a good matchup. You only want to play him in plus matchups. He's very much just a boom or bust factor. And this wasn't going to be a game that we expected much of a boom. It wasn't. So I didn't tell you guys to play him. I had him ranked as a wide receiver for this week, actually, a, li- a, a, a late, low end wide receiver for at that. But better days are ahead, including us New York Jets. He will be a wide receiver three boomer bust option against the New York Jets. He's going to be somebody that's going to be able to play in a lot of lineups this week, without a doubt. On the Buffalo Bills side of the ball, Josh Allen was very much held in check. And he did not give you this floor that Lamar Jackson could still give you because he only threw for one touchdown, 146 yards. He only ran for nine yards in this game. And really, frankly, the 146 yards and a touchdown pretty much all came in the fourth quarter. Because even up until that point, he hadn't gone over 100 yards. He didn't have a touchdown. He looked like he was about to have a single-digit point day. And I think for the teams who actually played Josh Allen, now he was you know, he was my low-end QB2s. So again, this is another player in the situation that hopefully you did not play if you were listening to this podcast. But if you did thinking he would somehow give you a floor still because he might run around. Well, guess what? There's a really good chance he probably lost your leagues this week. There's a really good chance that wound up being the case. Now, if you happen to survive or he winds up being on your waiver wire, come next week, this is a guy who, generally speaking, does have a pretty high floor. And the Baltimore Ravens right now are a defense that you just don't want to play. It's not the fact that it's not just their defense. It's their offense. It's the whole team identity, the physicality. They wear you down on both sides of the ball. The offense feeds the defense. The defense feeds the offense in this one. And right now, the Ravens are just a buzzsaw of the team. And even though their last two games, they haven't won by huge margins because they've played against really competitive teams, they still won those tough games. And a buzzsaw is about to come this week. They're just a defense you don't want to have to play against right now, no matter who you have. You really just don't want to. Unless you have a superstar player, you do not want to play against the Baltimore Ravens right now. Devin Singletary, which makes Devin Singletary's performance all that more impressive, which is what I was trying to lead into. 17 carries, 89 yards, 6 catches, 29 yards on 8 targets in this game. He was heavily utilized. You know who's finally 
who finally went by the wayside, Frank Gore. Only four carries in this game for six yards. Wasn't involved in the passing game at all. This is what you want to see. Going forward, week 15, week 16, it's time for Frank Gore to take a back seat. Now, I'm not saying that this game is what now all of a sudden continues. I'm not saying this game is what starts Frank Gore taking a backseat to Devin Singletary from here on out. In fact, if I was going to bet, I would say that it's just as likely Frank Gore winds up with 10 touches next week. But this is what you want to see moving forward and hopefully it would have a chance to actually happen more often. As far as receivers go, for the Buffalo Bills, obviously because Josh Allen had a horrible day throwing the football, they did not have a very good game either. But this is now the second game in a row where John Brown hasn't been very good. And really, if you take away a touchdown from three weeks ago, it's the third game in a row he's had 30 or less yards. Hasn't been very good for a while now. And this just goes to the inconsistency that is Josh Allen throwing the football. I mean, Brown still has targets. He still had eight targets, but only three catches, 26 yards. Cole Beasley, yes, he winds up scoring a touchdown. He winds up having a floor for the fantasy day. He still had his seven targets, but four catches, 29 yards. You take that touchdown away, he had an abysmal game as well. And I believe he's actually the one who wound up with the two-point conversion, if I remember correctly as well. So you also got you a couple of cheap points there too. I'm still not playing Cole Beasley. I keep getting asked this question. I don't know if you guys are trolling me. It's fine if you are. It's It's a laugh. But I'm going to keep giving you the same answer and over and over and over again. Do not play Cole Beasley. And right now, unless it's a plus matchup, you can't play John Brown either. You can't trust the inconsistency that is Josh Allen throwing the football. All right, the next game up was the biggest shootout of the week. And really, the fact that it was the shootout in the manner that it was, I think is the biggest surprise to me of the week as far as all the games go. And of course... I'm talking about the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints in this game. These two teams, I mean, you want to talk about creative offensive play calling. We saw it because these are two defenses coming into this game that have been playing elite level. 49ers all season long, but the Saints over the past month have been a very good defense, even with Marshawn Lattimore not necessarily in the lineup. And he was in the lineup today, but even without him, they've been playing very good defense. And these two offenses came out ready to go. They pulled all of the trick plays out of the woodwork, all the end arounds, the reverses, the motions. This was a thing of beauty from the offensive side of the ball. And I don't just mean the gameplay. I mean the play calling. From Kyle Shanahan and Sean Payton. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen play calling like that. It was very, 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 very impressive to watch. As a result, Jimmy Grapple is fantastic in this game. 349 yards, four touchdowns, an interception. But he was fantastic in this game. And he's somebody who, over the past month now, has been a top streaming quarterback. And going up against the Atlanta Falcons next week, I think the thing that you always have to worry about with Jimmy Garoppolo is that because the 49ers are so good on defense, if they play against lesser competition, they could find themselves in a situation where they just don't need him to do much to win that game. But they've been more aggressive as of late, as the 49ers have continued to fail to run the ball consistently. They've been picking up their passing game. Their passing game is more aggressive. And that's that's partly to do with the addition of Emmanuel Sanders. 
It's partly to do with Debo Samuel getting better and better as the season has gone on. But it also has a lot to do with the fact that this rushing attack hasn't been the same over the past five weeks or so now. That includes Tevin Coleman, who is nowhere to be found. Now, this was a matchup where I was warning people not to play Tevin Coleman as it was because we didn't know what was going on. He was inexplicably not being used, inexplicably was the backup to Raheem Mostert last week. Now, I did say, and it, you could say it's a bad call by me if you if you played him because of this, I did say in the preview show that I believe that with Matt Breida back, he would go back to using Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida as the main guys, and Raheem Mostert would revert back to his third his third running back role. And if that is something that made you play Tevin Coleman, I apologize. My, my general advice to you is that I still was not going to play Tevin Coleman, and that Matt Breida was the only one I was going to play because he's the only one that I felt like he had the role that you could trust. And I think that proved true in some senses. I mean, he didn't get that many touches, but he did have the production that I kind of expected him to have in this one. But the big thing here was that Raheem Mostert was still the lead back. He's the one who had 10 carries. He had 69 yards. He had a touchdown. He tacked on two catches for 40 yards and a touchdown in the passing game. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. He was the lead back. And that was with Matt Breida back in the lineup. Tevin Coleman had three carries. Was not involved at all in the passing game. Matt Breida only had seven touches total. For 60 yards total in this game. So good production, but he didn't touch the ball that much either. And it's not like Raheem Mostert went crazy. We're only talking about 12 total touches here. But he's still the lead guy with everyone healthy. I don't know if this means that Raheem Mostert has somehow jumped up the depth chart without all of us realizing it and has become the number one back in San Francisco. I do know that if you have picked him up, you can't drop him. And I also know that if he's on the waiver wire, you got to pick him up. He's not a must play, but at the very least, keep him out of the hands of somebody else taking a shot on him because you've seen what he can do. You've seen that as of right now, the trending in the direction of him being the lead guy. Now, the reason why I say he's not a must-play is because, well, frankly, we didn't see this coming. There was no announcement made. There was no real indication from practice. There was other than We knew Raheem Mostert was going to have a bigger role because Matt Breida had been out for the past couple of weeks. But with everyone healthy for him to come in and still be the lead back, this was unforeseen by everyone. Which makes it just as likely for him to go back to being either the third back or the second guy next week. With the way this offense runs, with the way Kyle Shanahan mixes the backfield up quite a bit. So it makes him an untrustworthy play because we don't know what these roles are set in stone right now. We don't. We have no clue. What it does mean is that Matt Breed is going to be second fiddle, which makes him a flex play in most situations, especially when they have plus matchups because of what he can do. And you can't play Tevin Coleman under any circumstances right now. Those are the two things that guarantees. Those are the only two things that you can really know for sure about the San Francisco backfield right now. Unfortunately, it's not much, but that's all we can offer you. As far as receiving crew goes, Emmanuel Sanders did everything. I mean, he did he did everything. This guy threw for a touchdown in this game. On a trick play, at a 35-yard pass for a touchdown. Absolutely incredible. Seven catches, 157 yards on nine targets with a receiving touchdown. All of a sudden, this was the guy that we were wondering how healthy was he 
because since he had sustained the rib injury, he had not really been the guy who the 49ers were targeting the most on a consistent basis. It had been a few weeks since he had even a decent game. And all of a sudden he comes out in this one and just explodes on what's supposed to be one of the best corners in the league in Marshawn Lattimore, who's been back. Absolutely incredible. And look, he's still more of a top-end wide receiver three than he is a wide receiver two just because his offense in general is inconsistent in the way they utilize their players outside of George Kittle. But he shows you why he has that capability. He should be the number one wide receiver on this team week in and week out. And what that could lead to as far as production goes. Debo Samuel is very solid again in this one. Eight targets, five catches, 76 yards. The only thing he didn't really do is score. He's somebody who's become a low-end wide receiver three, especially when you're talking PPR leagues right now. He's been involved pretty much every single week. And even those weeks where Emmanuel Sanders wasn't involved in much, Debo Samuel still carved out a role for himself during those weeks as well. Now, he's not a must-play for me. And like I said, he's still more of a low-end wide receiver three in my book. But with the way that passing game has been going, with the way he has been involved, he is somebody that you can contemplate as a solid flex play. George Kittle in this one, we're just going to quickly mention him. Six catches, 67 yards, a touchdown. He's a top tight end. You're playing him every week. Does not matter. Does not go away. One of the most consistent things you can you can sink your teeth into. Now, on the Saints side of the ball, let's start off with the injury. Because that's I want to make sure we get all the injuries out because there are so many. Jared Cook, this guy, two catches, 64 yards, two touchdowns, and then goes out with a concussion. Now, he took a bad hit on that last touchdown. So it wasn't really a surprise to me that he was going to get monitored and probably be out because more times than not once you start to get checked out for a concussion and you could as a viewer you visibly see it that it was a bad hit and he didn't look very good you're probably going to be out for the rest of the game good news is that if you actually played Jared Cook which I don't know how many people did against San Francisco but if you actually played Jared Cook you still got a hell of a fantasy day before he left that's the good news that was a silver lining as far as the rest of the team goes Drew Brees I would say this is another one of my bad calls, but nobody, and I mean nobody in the industry, had Drew Brees as a top 12 quarterback this week. Nobody. When you take, when you combine how they've been calling plays as of late, which has been ultra conservative, how he has been playing as of late, which has been super checked down, combined with the fact that they're playing against one of the top defenses in the NFL in San Francisco. Nobody had Drew Brees in their top 12 this week. Nobody. And this guy goes for 349 yards and five touchdowns. All I take from that, frankly, is that one, Drew Brees still has it. But two, when the Saints are at home, anything is possible for Drew Brees. <laughs> that, that is the biggest thing I take out of it. As long as you are in New Orleans, Drew Brees has a chance to be a top-end QB1 no matter who they're playing. That was my biggest takeaway from that game as from a fantasy perspective. As far as running back situation goes, probably one of the biggest disappointments of the game was Alvin Kamara. You have a game in which was 48-46. to 46, You had 94 points total, and Alvin Kamara could only contribute 13 carries for 25 yards, four catches for 18 yards on six targets. That's all he contributed in a game in which... You told me the Saints scored 46 points. 
I'd have told you Kamara probably scored at least half of them himself. That's all you contribute? This is a guy who's been really disappointing, especially as of late. And frankly, because of the game that he had, he might have lost a lot of you your playoff matchups. That is That was a weak killer right there. Alvin Kamara's performance, especially in a game that went like that. Michael Thomas performed, though. Michael Thomas won you your weeks. 11 catches, 134 yards, a touchdown on 15 targets, a bounce back after having such a disappointment game against the Atlanta Falcons. Again, it just shows you Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is the number one wide receiver in my book. There's nobody who's more consistent. There's nobody who's more trustworthy. There's nobody who, frankly, is better because he does it all. And he has such a high volume share every single week. Michael Thomas is a number one fantasy wide receiver, period. Every single week. It doesn't matter who they're playing. He's matchup proof. We'll see what happens with Jared Cook moving forward. You'll have to stay tuned with us on that one as he has become one of the top tight ends as of late. So he is somebody we need to check out. But moving along here, the Washington Redskins, Green Bay Packers, Darius Geis got hurt. Another knee injury. Now we don't know how severe. So we'll lead off with that. We're not. We're probably not going to know until later on Monday afternoon at some point. But another knee injury for Darius Geis. I think, unfortunately, this is a guy who's never really going to get his career off the ground. He's too injury prone. You missed an entire rookie season. You had, you had the injury in college. You missed the entire rookie season because of a knee injury. You had another knee injury week one of the season, which made you miss most of your second year. You come back, have a couple games, weren't much of a workhorse, and then came back and then had another knee injury, which knocks you out of this one, and you're probably done for the rest of the season. Like I said, we don't know how severe yet, but probably done for the rest of the season is what we can go off of. Now, hopefully, this is one of those calls that I had that I warned you guys about that were hopefully you did listen to me on because I said, look, Darius Geis is just as likely to go for 40 yards next week because he wasn't actually getting that many touches. Now, in this game, of course, he winds up getting injured, and he got 40 yards on five carries. So he was, efficiency-wise, production-wise, he was on his way to having another another really good game. He was. But hopefully you had listened to me and put him on the bench because really, at the end of the day, he didn't actually have a good fantasy day because he was injured. But Adrian Peterson comes in here, 20 carries, 76 yards. He gets a touchdown. He's going to be the main runner. He's going to be a solid flex play moving forward. We know he's going to get what kind of volume he's going to get. But the other thing to take out of this is Chris Thompson. Now, he didn't carry the ball at all in this game, but he did have seven catches for 43 yards. He was actually the lead targeted pass catcher on the team. He had eight. One ahead of Terry McLaurin. And I said it before, I mean, even with Darius guys in the mix, I kept saying it, I wanted to hold on to Chris Thompson if I'm in PPR leagues because there was definitely a role for a pass catcher in this backfield. There was definitely a role for a guy, for Dwayne Haskins, to have somebody easy to check the ball down to. That's what he did in this game. And last week last week was his first game back, so I wasn't expecting a lot out of him then. But in this game, for if you played in PPR leagues, it wasn't a pretty stat line, but he got you 11 that's serviceable to be a flex play. So this is a guy who actually might have some value. And now with no Darius Geis on top of it, you know it's going to be AP on the ground and Chris Thompson through the air. And that there's going to be enough volume for both of these guys to both be flex plays for you going into next week. 
I think the big thing we got to talk about is Terry McLaurin. So he had seven targets, got back on track in the target range after last week, had four catches for 57 yards, so he wasn't getting blanked. He didn't get two catches for eight yards, but had the touchdown. This is the first touchdown he's had with Dwayne Haskins, finally. Now, he wasn't the guy I was telling you to play because the production to that point had just been so inconsistent. And while I thought he was turning on the right path, because he wound up burning everyone that I actually, the week I did tell everyone to play him, wound up burning me badly. I didn't put him on that list this week. I didn't put him up there in that range. I thought there was a possibility. I knew the Packers secondary is something you could take advantage of. I knew he's somebody who's still going to get his targets. But I didn't put him in that range because he had already gotten burned in that situation. This game he goes for a touchdown. I think you just have to pick your licks. Look, he's somebody who can make a play. He's somebody who can score. He's somebody who's going to probably get five to seven targets each week. But he doesn't have a good quarterback. Right now, Dwayne Haskins is not a good quarterback. He doesn't have a good quarterback throwing him the football. And it's an offense that doesn't put up very many points. And could find themselves in situations where they get blown out. I'm frankly shocked the Packers didn't blow him out in this one. But the Packers, Packers walked through this game. They really did. Once they got up by 14 in the first quarter, it was pretty much like, we know we don't have to do too much more to win this game. And that's how they played. And honestly, that's why the Redskins were able to come back into this game and were actually able to find themselves in the situation with a chance to even pull ahead at the very end of the game. So the Packers let them back in it, which should be a lesson to them. You can't do that in the NFL. But that was what happened. So when you look at Aaron Rodgers, when you look to see the fact that he only put for 195 yards and a touchdown, when you look at the fact that Devontae Adams only had four catches for 41 yards on six targets, that has everything to do with the fact that they just didn't have to do that much to win this game for the majority of it. Now, hopefully, you were able to survive that. Hopefully, especially in Devontae Adams' case, hopefully his performance did not lose you your matchups. But I know that it probably did in a few leagues. It's definitely disappointing going up against Washington Redskins to have a superstar elite wide receiver one put up essentially a dud. To have Aaron Rodgers, who gave people hope after lighting up the Giants a week ago, to put up a dud. Now, some of it had to do with Aaron Jones' success. 16 carries, 134 yards, a touchdown. He looked like Aaron Jones of old. The biggest thing was that he was involved in the passing game. Like we said he was going to be after Matt LaFleur made the point that said that they had to get him back involved in the pass-catching game. And the one thing, like I said, it was the only thing, and I said it this week, that I will ever give Matt LaFleur credit for. When he says something, you can pretty much guarantee that's exactly what they're going to try to do. We've seen it a few times already now. We saw it when he talked about he wanted to get Jamal Williams about 50-50 split and get him back involved. That's exactly what we saw. We saw, and now we're seeing with Aaron Jones, they want to get him involved more in the passing game. That's exactly what they did. We saw it with Devontae Adams. They said they were, they were going to Devontae Adams too much. Well, what do they do with the Giants? What do they do with the Redskins? They spread the ball out more. So, so far, they have done exactly what they say they want to do going into the following week. So in that sense, Matt LaFleur, for fantasy purposes, is actually kind of trustworthy as to what you're looking to expect, what you're looking to see the players do. Now, Aaron Jones is still very much a RB2, a top RB2, but an RB2 who's going to be hit or miss no matter what because just they go with the flow. They decide who they're going to use for what purpose when they decide they want to do it. 
But he will be an RB2. He's going to be somebody you're going to have to start. As far as Jamal Williams goes, he just wasn't that involved. Seven carries, 24 yards. Because they were giving all of these touches to Aaron Jones, he only had one target in the passing game. I expect that to balance itself out a little bit more. I think the whole idea of this game was to get Aaron Jones back involved, get him going again, get his confidence up. you still got a stretch run here. You're still 10-3. and You're still fighting for the top of the NFC. So you want him to get him going, get him confidence back up again for these next three games. But Jamal Williams isn't going to just disappear. He'll still be a flex play more times than not, especially when you're talking PPR leagues moving forward. Rolling along here, we got Detroit Lions. We got the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings took care of business. And this was another game where, frankly, they didn't have to do too much. Kirk Cousins was fine, but for fantasy purposes, he really didn't give you a whole lot. 30 of 24, only 242 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Didn't have to be that aggressive. Didn't have to make that many plays. They did what they wanted to do. Dalvin Cook, 18 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown. He also tacked on two catches for 13 yards. So Dalvin Cook, coming off of a week where everybody was worried about his shoulder, still had 20 touches in this game. Now, Alexander Madison actually wound up with 14 carries for 46 yards. He didn't score in this one. It's also He also talked down two catches for 18 yards. Uh, also a big reason... BTW, I was telling people not to play Alexander Madison. There was this big thing going along, and it was a lot of it was a lot of experts in the industry as well saying, play out Ale- you can play Alexander Madison as a flex guy. No. Unless it's a team that typically uses two running backs and rotates two running backs on a consistent basis. No, the backup running back should not be the flex guy. We know Dalvin Cook's going to get his touches. Now, the whole reason why Madison got 14 carries is because they dominated this game. It was it was twenty to seven. It was it was seventeen nothing for the longest time. Detroit didn't never even threaten the score until the fourth quarter. They didn't have to do too much in this game. And once once it hit early fourth quarter and they were up by three scores, there's no reason to get Dalvin Cook injured. So that's why Madison did a lot of his work then as well. So don't read anything into that if you didn't happen to see that game and you're just reading the box score. Now for Stephon Diggs. Six catches, 92 yards, nine targets. He's the number one targeted guy. Going up against Darius Slay, he typically has a good game against the Lions. The only thing he doesn't do is score here. Yes, he's been inconsistent, but Stephon Diggs is always somewhat of an inconsistent guy. He's always going to be that that mid-to-high-level wide receiver, too, who could be a wide receiver one for you that week because he has that big play capabilities, but he's also one of the most boomer-bust wide receiver twos because he can also get you, you know, Four catches for 40 yards, and that might be it that he does that day. We'll see if Adam Thielen can come back. There is some optimism around that, but there's been optimism about Adam Thielen trying to return the following week for the past month and a half now. So I'm not holding my breath on it. We'll see what happens, but Stephon Diggs, either way, is somebody you still have to keep playing as a wide receiver too, no matter the matchup, no matter if Adam Thielen's in there or not. So this doesn't change anything. The only disappointment I would say here is that without Adam Thielen, a lot of people had been streaming Kyle Rudolph because he had been in situations with score touchdowns, and that just didn't happen this game. But that's something you're riding and dying with at the tight end position anyway. Can someone give you a touchdown? If not, then you kind of have to take your lumps as you go. Now on the Lions side of the ball, another game where we had an injury. We don't know the severity of this one either. And that's Bo Scarball. He got he had his touches. He had 20 touches in this game. Went for 65 yards on the ground. Actually tacked on a reception for 5 yards. Did leave in the fourth quarter with a rib injury. Now, it didn't look like it was super serious at the time. 
It looked more like the game was well in hand. Why keep you know running you out there? He's still definitely, without a doubt, the lead back. They're not rotating him in. Ty Johnson had two carries. That was the next closest running back to him. We will have to keep our eyes on this on the practice report as as the news comes out. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at MDSFFshow. Make sure you have that little bell up, the little notifications, so you get up to date when that news comes out. But right now, we don't know too much about that injury. Assuming that he will be healthy enough to play next week, my analysis for him is that this is a guy who has a safe floor. He's gotten you seven to eight points pretty much each every week. He's getting 20 touches. It's not going to be pretty. They don't have a great offensive line, but he is somebody who also represents the ability to score because if they do get in the goal line and they're in a position to be able to actually run the ball when they get into the goal line because they're not trying to conserve time, he is that guy. So this we're, we're talking about an RB3. We're talking about a flex guy each week, and that hasn't changed because of the volume that he has been seeing. Kenny Galladay was the one who got the touchdown this game. Six catches, 58 yards on eight targets. It happened after Xavier Rose went out. It also happened at the very end of the game in garbage time. David Blau's just showing that why he's not actually anybody who's any good or a starter in the NFL. He's just not a very good quarterback. Threw the ball 40 times in this game. Only completed 24 passes. Only threw for 205 yards. One touch, two interceptions. Not very good. Marvin Jones in this game. He's somebody who had been able to find the end zone on a kind of consistent basis, which is why I still had him as a wide receiver three. But he was somebody that I warned you guys, he did have a low floor. Because if he doesn't get the touchdown, he's not in a situation where he's probably going to go for 100 yards or go for a decent chunk. This is exactly what I'd be worried about with Marvin Jones as long as Matthew Stafford continues to not play. Three catches, 38 yards on seven targets. He needs that touchdown. He is touchdown dependent right now unless Matthew Stafford were to magically come back. Still don't think it's going to happen, but I also think it's weird that they haven't officially shut him down either. So we'll see again this week, but I wouldn't count on it. Kenny Galladay, though, he shows you even with David Blau, he can put up numbers. He had a big week last week. He has a good week this one. He can keep firing up and keep playing him as a low-end wide receiver too, no matter the quarterback situation. Next game up, and probably one of the biggest surprises as far as how the game actually went, Denver Broncos and the Houston Texans. The Broncos went into Houston and what was frankly a must-win for Houston and the rookie quarterback, Drew Locke, who's known for being inaccurate, went 22 of 27 for 309 yards and three touchdowns. Had the one pick, but who cares? When you went in there and put up a stat line like that on the road to a first-place team at the time, that's impressive. That's unexpected. You know what was more unexpected than that? The fact that he threw for 309 yards, the fact that he threw for three touchdowns, and yet Cortland Sutton has one of the most disappointing performances he has had all season, was still by far the lead targeted pass catcher with seven, and yet still came away with five catches, but only for 34 yards and zero touchdowns. Against a Houston Texans defense that is supposed to be ripe for the picking. One of the most disappointing performances from a fantasy perspective this week. There's no doubt in my mind that Cortland Sutton will cost people their first round of the playoffs, which is unfortunate because he has been somebody who has been 
consistently good week in and week out, consistently a low-end wide receiver two who had the wide receiver one potential because he just had the volume and the touchdowns heading his direction. And if you would have told me before going into this game that Drew Locke was going to throw for over 300 yards and throw for three touchdowns, I would have told you that Cortland Sutton must get 150 yards and at least a touchdown or two in order to make that happen. Amazing to me that he was not involved at while Drew Locke had the game that he had. You know who did have a big game? It was Noah Fant. You know who got injured? Noah Fant. He had to get carted off. Looked like a pretty gruesome injury. I don't think we're going to see him for the rest of the season. But if that was his last game of this season, at least he ended his rookie campaign on a bang. Four catches, 113 yards, a touchdown in this game. People talked about him being a stream. He was a low-end stream for me. Just somebody who hadn't been consistent enough. Too many quarterback situations. He's somebody who's going to get better along with TJ Hawkinson at the rookie tight ends. Just look, rookie tight ends in fantasy football just typically don't wind up working out that well. No matter how good, how athletic the tight end is. And in this situation, it's going to be banged up going into next season. Hopefully he will be okay, but I doubt we see him again this year. As far as the running back goes, Philip Lindsay again is the main guy. Goes 16 carries, 51 yards. Finally finds the end zone in this game, something he hasn't really done very, very much of this season. Still not as involved in the passing game as you would like him to be. He only had two targets for two catches and four yards. Royce Freeman actually, same spread, two targets, two catches, but eight yards and did get the receiving touchdown. Now, he's more relevant in this game than he had been in a month, but to me, Royce Freeman is still nothing more than a handcuff. That is it. He's not getting enough of the volume work. Philip Lindsay, this is his backfield now. It is. So he's nothing more than a handcuff. On the Texans' side of the ball, well, Deshaun Watson had a good fantasy day. Didn't have a good game, but he had a good fantasy day. 292 yards, touchdown. Did have the two picks, but ran Two touchdowns in and also had 44 yards in the process just just rushing. That's the great thing about Deshaun Watson. He could have a terrible game. He could still find a way to be fantasy relevant for you, and he can always give it to you on his legs, and we know this. And, of course, his main guy, DeAndre Hopkins, especially with no Will Fuller, saw 13 targets in this game, seven catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. We'll see if Will Fuller returns next week, but right now, with the re-injury of the hamstring that he had last week, I would say probably doesn't look promising. And even if he plays next week, I would say there's a very high chance of re-injury. And as long as he's out, DeAndre Hopkins is pretty much guaranteed double-digit targets. And was able to perform in this one. Now, the surprise, just real quickly, was probably that Kiki Kute started in Wolf Fuller's place rather than Kenny Stills. He was actually the guy. He had actually eight targets in this game, five catches, 68 yards. Kenny Stills only had... Two catches, two targets, eight yards. He's just not a part of this offense. Uh, and nobody expected Kiki Kute to be the one to take over for Will Fuller. But it does show you that other than DeAndre Hopkins, all pass catchers of the Texans are very much in flux and cannot be trusted. That includes Duke Johnson, who once again was irrelevant in this game for the most part. Yeah, he had six catches for 40 yards. So if you're in PPR leagues, okay, that's fine. You got your 10 points if you played him in the flex. Okay, that's fine. But... The production line still wasn't there. Carlos Hyde was still the better running back. 14 carries, 73 yards in this game. Did tackle on two catches for five yards as well. It's Look, it's just one of those things where I keep saying it. You can't trust Duke Johnson. You can't trust the volume. Outside of DeAndre Hopkins, outside of Deshaun Watson, 
I don't know if there's a Houston Texan that I'm trusting in my playoff matchups right now. Moving on, we have the Ohio Bowl, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Cleveland Browns in this game, and some surprising fantasy performances. Joe Mixon comes in and is like, hey, you know what? My name's Joe Mixon. I'm actually really good. And you know what? I also have Cordy Glenn back, which means I have a competent offensive line at the moment. And look what Joe Mixon can do with a competent offensive line. 23 carries, 146 yards, a touchdown in this game. Also tacked on three catches for 40 yards on four targets. He was utilized. He was the workhorse. He got the shine. We knew it was a good matchup for him. We knew this offensive line had been playing better. I kept saying Joe Mixon was somebody you definitely have to have in your lineups. Play him as if he was all season long what you drafted him to be, even though he has not. But... Play him like that the rest of the season. This is a competent offense now for the Cincinnati Bengals. Competent. And competency is all a great player like Joe Mixon needs to be productive. Now, are you going to get another 146 yard and one touchdown performance over the next week or two? Uh, Probably not. But he's somebody who has that capability. He's somebody who's going to be very good for you. And this shows you why. A. Dalton was a non-streaming guy. Look, he's got to be a real plus matchup in order to stream this guy. That's why I said don't don't stream him. Stay away from him. He's not very high on my list. Didn't throw for a touchdown on this one. 262 yards, had the interception. As a result, none of the pass catchers really did great. Tyler Boyd had a good floor. Five catches, 75 yards on six targets. So you like to see that. You like to see that even if the passing game, the receiving game, isn't having big numbers as a unit in general, Tyler Boyd right now does have a nice floor with Andy Dalton that you can sink your teeth into as a high-end wide receiver three, as a high-end flex play every single week right now. He has that floor to go with it. Auden Tate got hurt in this game. We'll see exactly what his injury winds up being. I think we will hear something about him tomorrow because he probably will have to go for an MRI, but another guy who got injured in this one. On the Cleveland Browns side of the ball, you are talking about Baker Mayfield against Cincinnati Bengals, who is absolutely 100% awful. Just awful. 11 of 24, 192 yards, no touchdowns, and two picks. I don't think there is a stat line against a certain opponent like the Bengals that wraps up the season that Baker Mayfield has had more than just pure, pure disappointment. But here's what wasn't disappointing. Nick Chubb, 15 carries, excuse me, 106 yards. Kareem Hunt, 9 carries, 28 yards, but does have the rushing touchdown in this one. Also had 2 catches for 40 yards. Not very many targets, only 3 targets in this game. But he continues to have flex appeal and flexibility. Nick Chubb continues to put... Up low-end RB1-like numbers, high-end RB2 at the very least. And that looks like it will continue to be the case. I mean, the Browns won the game. So that's all that really matters. But their passing game right now with Baker Mayfield is a lot left to be desired. And Jarvis Landry is the number one wide receiver on this team. Now, yes, we had the report that, hey, you know what? Odell Beckham might not be 100% right now. He might be a little bit banked up. That's all fine and dandy. That doesn't account for the entire season. And Jarvis Landry is that number one guy. Seven targets, by far the most targets on the team. Four catches, 76 yards. While Odell Beckham had five targets, two catches, 39 yards. And we're talking about the Bengals here, people. 
So Jarvis Landry, you can fire him up as a high-end wide receiver three, even a low-end wide receiver two in games in which Cleveland's going to have to throw the ball more so to score. And But with Odell Beckham, and I said this before the game, when I, I said this on the Belly Up Fantasy account when I was answering a bunch of start-sick questions because we're on there at 9 a.m. every single Sunday answering those questions. And I said from the get-go, look, if you remove the Odell Beckham Jr. name, he's nothing more than a low-end wide receiver three, high-end wide receiver four, who has the ability for upside. That's it. That's what he is. That means he is not a must-start. He is a guy that you are playing because he has the capability to hit a home run for you. And that, that, that's it. That's the only reason you're playing him right now. David Njoku came back in this game, but was barely involved. Three catches, one catch, three, uh, three targets, excuse me, one catch, four yards. That's it. Right now, because of the way Baker Mayfield has been playing, unfortunately, I don't think you can stream David Njoku at any point over these next two weeks with any confidence. I don't think you can. Can't trust the offense right now. Moving along, we got the Colts, we got the Buccaneers, we had a high-scoring game in this one. I thought that it could turn into one. 35-38 in favor of Tampa Bay. Jacoby Brissett was fine. He was fine. I mean, honestly, better than I could have expected him to be given that the Colts were so short-handed in the passing game. 250 yards, two touchdowns. If you actually streamed him because it was Tampa Bay, you had a fine game. I think a lot of people did not, though, because of that lack of target share. Marlon Mack in this one, 13 carries, 38 yards, got a touchdown. You know, again, did the Marlon Mack thing where he was not involved in the passing game whatsoever, but he scored. So if you played him because he was back, you know this was a tough matchup, but he found the end zone, he saved your day, and he reestablished that he is going to be by far the number one back, even with the injury, even with his first week back. Jordan Wilkins only had one carry. Naeem Hines actually had more carries, and that's because they utilized him more in passing down situations, so he was on the field quite a bit in this game because there was a lot of back and forth. But it just goes to show you that this is Marlon Mack's backfield, and they're not going to be splitting touches or taking any more load off of him. Marcus Johnson had a good had a good game. Seven targets. He only had three catches on the seven targets, which usually is disappointing, but 105 yards, a touchdown. He's their big play guy. With no T.Y. Hilton out there, no Eric Ebron, now no Chester Rogers, Marcus Johnson's going to be the second starting wide receiver, and he's going to be the guy that they're going to take their shots to. Does that mean you play him in fantasy? No, he's nothing more to me than a wide receiver five. Maybe he can approach wide receiver four territory if he's going to be a starting wide receiver in the NFL, who has shown that he has big play capabilities, but... That is going to be very few and far between and not something I think you should be trusting or needing to trust over the next two weeks. Zach Paschal, though, he is somebody who I'm looking at. He had nine targets in this game, five catches, 74 yards, and a touchdown. And plus matchups with the target share that he should be seeing the rest of the way, given the injuries to this team. Yeah, Zach Paschal is somebody to me who I think is a low-end wide receiver three, a high-end wide receiver four, is a flex play in quite a few leagues, quite possibly. Especially when they have these plus matchups like this where they're going to have to put up some points on top of it. Jack Doyle was a disappointment in this one. You're going up against Tampa Bay, putrid against the tight end. No Eric Ebron. You're in for a large target share, and yet he only had six targets, two catches, 27 yards in a game in which the Colts scored 35 points. That's disappointing. That's very disappointing. 
Now, I think better days are ahead. I still think Jack Doyle is one of the better streaming options out there for you at the tight end position. I think he's one of those guys that does come in to be one of the bottom 12 at the tight end position. So, you know, I should say top 12, so tight end one territory. Better days are ahead for him. I think he's still in that category, but this was a very disappointing game given the matchup. As far as the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers side of the ball goes, uh, Jameis Winston, he also had an injury in this game. They said it's a small fracture in his right hand. That is the update that we just got a little while ago. He was able to come back, play through the pain, play in this one. So being that he was able to do that and did it with effectiveness, by the way, we do expect him to be able to find a way to get back on the field next week. And look, he had a big Jameis day. 33 of 45, 456 yards, four touchdowns. Had the three picks, but you don't care when the guy's giving you 450 yards and four touchdowns. He can give you three picks, and you can still have a top five QB one on the week. The other injury was one of the guys that he threw one of his early touchdowns to, Mike Evans. One catch, 61 yards, a touchdown on two targets. So the silver lining is at least he gave you a big play. At least, even though he had the hamstring injury early, and got himself knocked out of the game, you did not lose your week because of Mike Evans, because he was able to give you that big play. So that's the silver lining. The bad news is that that looked like a bad hamstring injury. Just the way he pulled, the way he had to go down, the way he was walking on it, the way he was feeling it, the way his reactions, it just read to me a pretty bad pull where I would not be surprised if Mike Evans is now done for the rest of the season, for these last three weeks I wouldn't be surprised if he's done now which only means even more target share for Chris Godwin I mean he had nine targets in this game was by far the most seven catches 91 yards he just didn't score in this one but if Mike Evans is going to be gone the target share Chris Godwin's about to see in this pass heavy offense is about to go through the roof where he should be averaging double digit targets each of the next three weeks. So that's the good news on Chris Godwin with Mike Evans being out. The other good news could be that O.J. Howard might find himself in the streaming territory. Four catches, 73 yards on five targets in this one. With no Mike Evans, they're going to need a bigger body guy to be able to go to in the red zone or at least utilize in some capacity between the 20s the way they use Mike Evans. And I would expect it to be nobody else besides O.J. Howard. So he may be somebody who's actually stream-worthy moving forward because while Chris Godwin's target share could even go up and be insane, he can't get all of them. And I think that would be O.J. Howard. I know Brashad Perryman had a big game in this one. He's not somebody you can trust, period. We're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side. We still have more games to get to for you. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. All right, coming out of the break here, we're going to pick this thing up a little bit. we still got six more games we want to get to, and we don't want to go too far over our target of time. We always do on this show in particular just because there's always so many games to recap, and I'd like to try to do a thorough analysis for you guys, especially if you didn't get to watch all of these games, to really know what happened and to know what to take out of it moving forward, which is why I think we do a more in-depth analysis here on the MD's Fantasy Football Show than anyone else really does when it comes to these recap games, and I'm, and I'm proud of that, and I'm proud you guys listen to that, and I'm proud you guys respond to that, I'm proud that you guys have 
had given us good feedback on that. Because some people, I think, tend to think that because we're talking fantasy football and we go into more in-depth that people become bored. And the fact is, is, no. People want as much information as possible to make the best decision as possible. And we try to be entertaining along the way as well. I think that's why people are liking to us. I think it's why we've been growing as a show this season. But I digress. Let's get into the last six games that we got to talk about in this show. And we'll be back again tomorrow to recap the primetime games and the waiver wire report. And the game we got now is Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. Now, in the Panthers' side of the ball here, we didn't know what to expect, right? Ron Rivera was fired. We didn't know how the team was going to respond to that. You knew to play Christian McCaffrey, who just never disappoints, even when he's not maybe having one of the best days. Only had 11 carries for 53 yards rushing, but had 11 receptions for 82 yards. He continues to be an absolute freak in PPR leagues because nobody catches the ball like this guy does. Not the clip that he catches it. It's absolutely insane the amount of targets this guy gets. And the worse he does rushing, it's just the more he does receiving. It always balances itself out. He always has a big week. Always. It's, it's insane. It's ridiculous. The only thing he did not do, he did not score in this game. That was it. That was the only thing he did not do in this game. But once again, DJ Moore had a solid performance. The thing about DJ Moore in this one is that he gave you a solid performance, four catches, 81 yards, but he did it on way less targets than what he has seen in, in really a month. He only had six targets in this game, which is actually very unusual. And in his place, it was it was Ian Thomas. Five catches, 57 yards, a touchdown, 10 targets. I mean, that, that was the surprising factor. Curtis Samuel didn't score. What happens when Curtis Samuel does not score? Class, say it with me, he's not fantasy relevant. Which is why, when you're talking about the playoffs, you can't trust him. No matter the matchup. And I know this was a plus matchup. I know people were looking at Curtis Samuel's like, oh, maybe this is the time to take a shot on him. Nope. Two catches, 25 yards, four targets. And this was a game that Carolina was trailing for most of it too. So they had to throw the ball a bunch of times. They threw the ball 41 times. If he doesn't score, he's not fantasy relevant. He doesn't have a floor. And he doesn't really have a particularly big ceiling either, by the way, because even when he has scored, it's been a long time since Curtis Samuel's going over 100 yards. So it's not even like he has a big ceiling. Not somebody's fantasy relevant for you guys moving forward. Kyle Allen was, you know, terrible. 28-41, 293 yards, touchdown, two interceptions. I know it came out of the report today the Carolina Panthers are going to look to trade Cam Newton. If they look to trade Cam Newton after the way Kyle Allen has played this season, then to me, that means you're either going to be going into total rebuild mode or you're going to be prepared to trade for whatever you have to trade for to get up to get one of the top three quarterbacks that are coming out in this, this next draft class. Because Kyle Allen's not the answer. Kyle Allen cannot be your starting quarterback next year. He's shown that he could probably be a capable backup in this league for a lot of years to come, but he's not a guy who you can make your week-in, week-out starter. Not that guy. Doesn't have that talent. On the other side of the ball, Matt Ryan was very good. Shocker. Great matchup. A game in which he had all, all, and I mean all of his weapons back, and Matt Ryan was really good. 313 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Shocker. 
everyone to write Matt Ryan off after last week. I'm just sitting there, just like, you, you guys really realize, like, outside of Calvin Ridley, they, they had, like, nobody left that was healthy, right? I just love how people just seem to have amnesia about the circumstances around these players when they have some bad performances sometimes. Matt Ryan, we knew, was going to be a top QB1 this week. We knew that. Follow us along. We use common sense, guys. You know who else had a good game? And it was common sense he was going to have a good game? Devontae Freeman. 17 carries, 84 yards, a touchdown this one. First rushing touchdown of the season. I honestly, I, I've been doing numbers all year long, and I had, that had really gotten past me. Because I, I know I had been on Mike Williams, hadn't scored until this week. We saw him finally score. We're going to talk about that game in a little bit. But I did, actually didn't, had not dawned on me that Devontae Freeman had not scored a rushing touchdown yet this season. That was his first one. You know, also had a good game, Brian Hill. Nine carries, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, he's not fantasy relevant. I'm not suggesting anything here. I just wanted to add that in, that the guy goes back to being a backup, and all of a sudden, like, oh, look, I can be efficient again. I, I just kind of wanted to throw that in there. Uh, Julio Jones in this one, five catches, 66 yards, no touchdowns, eight targets, total disappointment. Total disappointment. And he missed last week, the week before. He's really been kind of disappointing in the second half of the season severely disappointing and he's been back to Julio Jones who does not score touchdowns it's been it's been really frustrating and this is a stat line which maybe didn't totally lose you the week but it didn't help you win it either so I'll be surprised to see too many teams that actually make it into the second round that still have Julio Jones on their rosters now if you you are one of those teams you have to continue to play Julio Jones because it's Julio Jones but I will be surprised that there's that many out there. Calvin Ridley, five catches, 76 yards, a touchdown. He was actually the lead wide receiver before he got hurt in the third quarter. They're calling it an ankle injury as of right now. We still don't know the severity of it. We'll know more during the week, but that's what happened there. Which I was a little surprised by because I was kind of shying away from Calvin Ridley in this one. With Austin Hooper back and Julio Jones back. Look, we had seen a lot of the season thus far where Calvin Ridley was kind of kept consistently being the odd man out in that scenario when everybody was together. So I was shying away from him a little bit in this game, but it looks like the rapport that he had going on, Matt Ryan in the meantime, had picked up, and now he gets hurt, and now we don't know the severity of it, so we'll have to see exactly what happens there. Austin Hooper, his first game back. Yes, I told you guys to fire him up and play him. That You can say it was a bad call by me. That was a call made by a lot of people because this is a guy who had been number one tight end up until he got injured. And we all felt like he had hit a point where if he came back this week, he would be pretty healthy and healthy enough that you could trust him to get his workload. He didn't get re-injured. He had six targets, but only had two catches for 32 yards. So, yes, it was disappointing. Yes, Austin Hooper still has to be considered a top tight end one, though, for the next two weeks at least. And I know I keep saying the next two weeks, but, yes, for you amateur hour leagues out there, week 17 for the next three weeks too. And we'll talk about you guys. Don't worry. Uh, Russell Gage, just a quick tidbit here. Now, with Calvin Ridley possibly missing time, Russell Gage will find himself back into you know a target share there. But it just goes to show you that he was definitely going to be the odd man out the whole time once these guys came back for sure. He only saw four targets in this game. So just kind of reiterate that Russell Gage is, like I said, his 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 volume, his production, his, his appeal may actually go back up now with Calvin Ridley possibly being out. But assuming Calvin Ridley would wind up playing next week, Russell Gage would be somebody who who should not be rostered is what I'm trying to get at. But maybe now he will be. 
The Dolphins and the Jets, the field goal festival. It was absolutely insane, the amount of field goals between Jason Sanders and Sam Ficken. We saw, what, seven makes, eight attempts from Jason Sanders? It was insane. It was insane. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I know a lot of people wanted to stream him, and I kept saying, can you really trust Ryan Fitzpatrick in your playoffs at your quarterback position? Hoping, hoping that most people's answers would be no, and this is why. 245 yards, zero touchdowns. Now, would he have had a better, because he also tacked on 65 yards rushing, so he, he did wind up with an okay floor, but had he had Devontae Parker for all four quarters in this game, would he have wound up with a better game? Yeah, probably. He probably would have wound up with a good streaming game had Devontae Parker not sustained a concussion injury early on in this game and had to get knocked out. Devontae Parker lost people their playoff matchups because he is somebody who had turned himself into a must-play, a a hands-down, without a doubt, must-play, a high-end wide receiver, too. Two catches, 28 yards on two targets before he goes out with a concussion. He definitely lost some people their leaks. I hope as MD Nation you were able to survive it. But I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't. And if you did survive it, if you did wind up going in, if you do wind up going in the second round with Devontae Parker, message me. Let me know about it. I want to hear I want to hear about it. I want to see what you guys were able to pull off, what your lineups were that you were able to survive Devontae Parker only giving you two catches for 28 yards after the way he had been playing, after the way he carried teams into the fantasy playoffs in the first place. I want to see the teams who won. So hit me up on social media at MDSFF Show on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook at MDFF Show. You can hit me up direct email wise, www.mdffshow.com. Also make sure you're checking out that website for the rankings as well. But you can hit me up any one of those ways. I want to hear about it. Mike Isecki, he had five targets. The targets were there. You, you'll take five targets at your tight end. The problem is, is that he only had one catch for six yards. Not great. Yes, the Jets are a bad matchup on paper, but you kind of thought without Jamal Adams that maybe that wouldn't be the case. And maybe Mike Kosicki, who had been very involved up until this point, would find a way. But he didn't. For those of you wanting, Patrick Lard, yes, 15 carries, 48 yards. No one cares. The running back for Miami, even though they're a starter in the NFL, is the anomaly to that role that you always pick up a starter running back in the NFL. No, you don't. No, you don't. Patrick Lard, you don't care. You don't care about the Dolphins running backs. And just a quick FYI, if Devontae Parker were to miss, Isaiah Ford was actually the guy who got all the targets. Nine targets, six catches, 92 yards in this game. Alan Hearns was worked in. Eight targets, five catches, 68 yards. Here's what I'll say. If there's no Devontae Parker next week, there's no Miami Dolphin who's worth your time in fantasy football. Period. So don't even worry about it. On the Jets' side of the ball, Sam Darnold was fine. 270 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. I know this was another guy who was a lower-end streaming option for people. He gave you a decent enough floor where he did not at least lose you the week. Didn't win you anything, but he didn't lose you the week. He did what you needed him to do. Bilal Powell came in in this game. We know Le'Veon Bell ruled out late in the week with the illness. We'll see if he's good enough to go this Thursday. I think that's the idea that he will be good enough to go this Thursday against the Baltimore Ravens, which is good because guess what? Bilal Powell hurt his ankle or hurt his foot. He had to be carted off to the locker room with his shoe off on his, I think it was his right foot. 
So we'll have to wait to see what the injury report on was on him. If he's going to be out, and I would say with that kind of an injury, he's definitely going to be at least out this Thursday. And let's say Le'Veon Bell still has the flu come Thursday, or whatever the case may be. Ty Montgomery would find himself in a situation where he pretty much would have the entire backfield to himself. Yeah, Yes, they'd probably work in Josh Adams again like they did earlier in the season, but this would be Ty Montgomery's backfield. And while we wouldn't expect him to give you that much in the rushing game, he would probably give you a serviceable amount in the passing game and still find a way to be a flex play in that regard. So just kind of keep that in mind as we go through the week, just in case something happens to Le'Veon Bell. Robbie Anderson, seven catches, 116 yards, and a touchdown on 11 targets. So if you've been listening to the show all season long, you know that I have a rule, which is if a player who you previously could not trust all of a sudden puts on three good performances in a row, it is no longer considered a fluke. So we are no longer considering Robbie Anderson and his production over the past three weeks a fluke. We are looking at it as he is somebody who has once again, at the end of the year, develop a rapport with Sam Darnold and is being utilized as such. Now, the one guy who was disappointing for fantasy purposes, but I don't want people to forget about, is Jameson Crowder. Three catches, 30 yards. Yes, disappointing. Yes, didn't really do much for you, but still had seven targets in this game. He's still getting targeted. He's still been consistent in that regard, but... Here's the thing. If Robbie Anderson keeps having these big games like this, it's really going to take away James Crowder being able to have a good production standpoint because really only one wide receiver on the Jets, I believe, can survive from a fantasy standpoint week in, week out. Only one. There aren't going to be too many games. There aren't going to be too many times they're going to be able to do two. And this week against the Baltimore Ravens, I might not play a New York Jet. That includes even, let's say Le'Veon Bell is healthy and good to go. I may not play Le'Veon Bell against Baltimore Ravens this Thursday. We'll get into that more when we go over the preview show, when we simulcast it live on Sportscaster and get the audio versions out to you Thursday mornings like we normally do. But yeah, we'll talk about that then. But as of right now, I'm just going to give you guys a little inkling. I don't know if I would play any Jet against the Baltimore Ravens right now with the way they're playing. Now, the Jaguars and the Chargers... This game, this game was a, was a shock in the sense of it was dominated by the Chargers in this game. And it just goes to show you, just when you don't expect the Chargers to really be able to do anything, just when you see them literally just melt and disappear in front of your eyes, they come back the next week with like a dominant performance of like, hey, you know what? We actually do have talent. Phillip Rivers was, was great in this game. On the road against Jacksonville, who would have thunk? 314 yards, three touchdowns, the biggest things he got, every one of your fantasy-relevant players involved. Uh, Keenan Allen, five catches, 83 yards. Mike Williams finally gets his first touchdown on the season. And yet, I feel less confident about Mike Williams moving forward than I do about this game because he only had three targets in this game. He has. This is a guy who's been getting... Pretty high up there in target share most weeks. And it's not to say that his target share won't bounce back up next week. But it's just really funny that in the game in which he scores, he only had two catches. He only had 63 yards. He only had one touch. And he only had three targets, excuse me. But he gets the one touchdown. The touchdown that he had not had all season long. And it was on a deep 50-50 ball, 44-yarder. He goes up and makes a tremendous play. It really just goes to show you that there's two things with Mike Williams. Will he learn to run the receiver tree? And will who will the quarterback be for the Chargers next year? Because those two things could go a long way in having Mike Williams becoming the receiver that most of us expected him to be this season already. But it does look like he's primed for that to be a possibility next year. 
As far as the running backs go here, Austin Eckler, eight carries for 101 yards. I mean, he was just breaking big plays left and right. He had he also led the team in receiving four catches, 112 yards, had a receiving touchdown on just five targets. 200 yards from scrimmage, Austin Eckler. 200 yards from scrimmage. On 12 touches. Let that sink in for a moment. Over 200 scrimmage yards on 12 touches. You can't get more efficient than that. Just breaking big play after big play. And like I said, Melvin Gordon still had a decent game for you. And he was still involved in the passing game. They both had five targets apiece. Melvin Gordon, five catches, 29 yards. Obviously not nearly as good, but still involved in that aspect of the game to make sure he still has the floor to keep his RB2 status relevant. While Austin Eckler, Austin Eckler, the way he played as of late, this might be one of the few teams in history that you can say both running backs are RB2 worthy starts every single week because that that's how they're playing right now, and they are. Hunter Henry, kind of like Mike Williams, very low usage, good production though, two catches, 39 yards, a touchdown. This is why you continue to play Hunter Henry, who just from a talent standpoint is a top 10 tight end in the NFL right now. On the Jacksonville Jaguars side of the ball, the return of Gardner Minshew did not go very well. Uh, 24 of 37, 162 yards, a touchdown. He didn't turn the ball over. He tacked on 31 yards rushing, but he didn't really give you the floor that you would want. This was a tough matchup anyway. Wasn't really a streaming option, but the big thing was the offense didn't look anything different, and even though they have some plus matchups down the road here, and that's why Gardner Minshew was actually one of my top streaming quarterbacks for the playoffs because of the matchups that they have down the road here with the Falcons and the, and the Raiders over the next two weeks. Even that gets kind of called into question at some point now because now we have DJ Chark, ankle sprain, but was seen in a walking boot, seen using a scooter to get around afterwards. That leads me to believe that it is, a, in fact, a high ankle sprain, which would lead me to believe that his season is over at this point. So you're going to have to go to D.D. Westbrook. You're going to have to go to Chris Conley, who, who, was, who was only targeted three times in this game. Moving forward, more Leonard Fournette in the passing game. That takes away, look, D.J. Chark by far had been his number one wide receiver. And before he went out in this game, he had nine catches for 75 yards on 10 targets. He had been Minshew's number one guy all season long. For him to not have him to lean on, He's going to have to go to D.D. Westbrook more, sure. D.D. Westbrook may become a low-end wide receiver three in these matchups as the number one pass catcher on this team, absolutely. But for Gardner Minshew himself, it means he does not. He definitely doesn't have the ceiling that he had against these plus matchups. And it may be a question if he even has the floor that you would want him to have if you're planning on streaming him. Unfortunately, but it does go down in that way. Leonard Fournette, disappointing in this game. 15 carries, 50 yards, but he didn't get the normal passing volume that he had seen over the past few weeks to save the fact that he hadn't been rushing very well. Only three catches, 13 yards on six targets. Now, with no DJ Chark, I expect that target share to go way up over the next couple of weeks with Gardner Minshew. So I think this will probably be the worst game that he has during your playoff run, so hopefully you were able to survive it. Because he has great matchups coming up the rest of the way where you should have high volume and have a high floor. Next game up, the Chiefs and the Patriots in this one. It's a good game. Patrick Mahomes played well, 283 yards, a touchdown, one interception. Didn't have a great game, but had a decent game in this one. 
LaShawn McCoy was the lead rusher. Like we said, he would be 11 carries, 39 yards. You know, didn't give you much. Only had one catch for four yards to help out in the passing game, but didn't score. LaShawn McCoy is a touchdown-dependent flex option right now with no Damian Williams around. Now we'll see if Damian Williams can come back next week, but if he does, if he does miss again, it will be LaShawn McCoy. Darwin Thompson will get worked in. Spencer Ware will get worked in, but McCoy has to score a touchdown to be flex worthy. So you have to be pretty confident that he's going to have that opportunity. Travis Kelsey actually is the one who winds up with the rushing touchdown in this game. But he also had seven catches for 66 yards on nine targets. He's been pretty consistently utilized over the past few weeks. Tyreek Hill, six catches, 62 yards on eight targets. Doesn't have the big game for you in this one, but knowing that this was going to be a tough matchup against New England in New England, I think you'll take the floor. The big question mark to me was Sammy Watkins. Eight targets in this game after the past two weeks of only seeing a couple and three. He looked like they... They actively, especially early on in this game, looked like they were really actually trying to get Sammy Watkins involved. I don't know that's something that continues. He still only ended up with four catches for 50 yards, so it's not like it was a huge fantasy day. So if you drop Sammy Watkins, you can still keep him on the waiver wire if you want to. It's not a must-add. He's not a must-play. He's more of a low-end wide receiver four at this point than anything else just because he hasn't produced. Now, the target share is there, the quarterback is there, the offense is there, which makes it all so head-scratching, but fact is, this guy has not produced. And maybe he goes off in the next two weeks in one of these games. But I'm willing to bet you're not going to feel confident to play him when that happens anyway, or for that to happen in the first place, unless you're desperate. On the Patriots' side of the ball, this is an anemic offense, period. This is an offense that doesn't really have an identity because it's clear they don't really want to be Tom Brady's offense because it's clear they're trying to protect Tom Brady at all costs. But they also don't have the offensive line. Sony Michelle is not Sony Michelle this year to have the running game that they expected to have. So this is a team that doesn't have an identity and as a result gets lost on offense. James White, six carries, 33 yards. He was a lead rusher. Sony Michelle had five carries for eight yards in this game. That was it. That was it. Now, game script-wise, they were run out of this game kind of early. The Chiefs were up 20-7 going into halftime. So second half, Sony Michelle barely even played. James White, to me, is the only Patriots running back that you can trust at all at the moment. At all. Julian Edelman is the only Patriots wide receiver that you can trust at all. Eight catches, 95 yards, a touchdown, 12 targets to Julian Edelman in this one. And they doubled him as much as they possibly could. And he still wound up having a great fantasy day. Next game, Steelers, Cardinals. Duck Hodges finds a way to win another one. I can't, look, Mike Tomlin, I've had my issues with him in the past. I've always thought he's a very good head coach, though. My issues come with him more in X's and O's, but... He's not going to get Coach of the Year award, but he should. How the Steelers are 8-5 and five blows my mind with what they've had to endure at the quarterback position especially. So Devlin Hodges has, you know, he doesn't have a fantasy-relevant day. 16-19, 152 yards and a touchdown. But what he did do was get Deontay Johnson going. And also proved me right on James Washington. You know what James Washington did? He had four catches and he had four targets, just like he did the last two weeks. You know what he didn't do? 
go for 100 yards and a touchdown on those four catches for four targets. This is why I've been warning everybody that James Washington was still nothing more than a boomer bust wide receiver four, and that he's a one-trick pony, and that he's not getting enough target work share to believe that he has a floor to be able to utilize him in your fantasy playoffs. And all of that reigned true. Deontay Johnson had a huge game. Now, part of that had to do with the fact that he returned a punt for a touchdown, but he had six catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets, was by far the most targeted wide receiver. And even last week when Josh Washington had his big game, Deontay Johnson was more targeted in that game as well. Now, to me, Deontay Johnson is more of a mid-level wide receiver four with this offense because you can't trust the passing game. You can't trust that production on a week-in, week-out basis right now. So I would steer clear from Steelers receivers if you at all can at the moment. As far as the running game goes, Benny Snell had the most carries, 16, but only 41 yards. Wasn't really able to get much going. They worked in Kareth White. They worked in Jalen Samuels, who only had who had seven carries for 16 yards. That was abysmal as well. But they keep working in a lot of different guys in the backfield. The idea, the report, the expectation is that James Conner may be back next week. That's, that's it. That is what we're expecting at the moment, that James Conner will be back next week in Week 15. So if you have James Conner, if you've been holding on to him, you may be, it may be time to be able to fire him up again. On the Cardinals side of the ball, Kyler Murray's not good. Can, can we all, I am so sick and tired of announcers and analysts saying Kyler Murray's having this great rookie season. This dude struggles to throw the ball for 200 yards every Single week. Struggles to do it. 194 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions in this game. And on top of it, he didn't give you anything on the ground. Two yards rushing. That's it. Kyler Murray's not a good quarterback. I don't care what anybody says. He's a good athlete. He's going to be able to make things happen. Absolutely. Good quarterback, having a good rookie season. Absolutely not. What film are you people watching? Where's the air raid system? Because that's not what they're running. That's not They haven't run that since, really, since September. Just saying. Just saying. Kenny and Drake, still very much a starting running back. 11 carries, 37 yards. Not great, but compared to David Johnson's three, who was the second most... He's still very much the starting running back. Chase Evans, who actually did see some work this week, only had one carry. So, Kenyon Drake is very much the lead back in this one. He's still nothing more than the flex play any given week, just because it's still not a high-scoring offense right now. It's an offense that has a lot of inefficiencies, and other guys are getting touches. Like, Drake had three catches for 30 yards on three targets, but David Johnson actually had the receiving touchdown in this one. On two targets and two catches and 34 yards. Christian Kirk is the number one wide receiver of this team. Eight catches, 85 yards, nine targets. Most weeks he's going to have a floor. Larry Fitzgerald only had three catches, 20 yards, and seven targets in this game. Most weeks you're not going to be able to trust him. And definitely did not think this was going to be a week where he was actually going to give you a decent stat line. But this is the guy who is the number one pass catcher on this team right now. So if you're looking for a wide receiver three that has a floor, depending on the matchup, he is somebody who can fill that role because the volume is there. All right, the last game that we're going to talk about in today's show is the Titans and the Raiders. 
And what we had in this matchup was a really close game. It actually looked like it was going to be a shootout in the first half. And then all of a sudden, the Titans just clamped down, and that was it for the Raiders. Brian Tannehill. Now, I did say he was a streaming option, but I was not sold on him as being a top 10 option or, frankly, a top 5 option. 391 yards, 3 touchdowns, only one pick, tacked on 19 yards rushing. I mean, this guy has been great. He has. He's been absolutely phenomenal. He hasn't had less than 16 fantasy points in a single week since he's taken over the football job, and he scored plus 20 points in most of those weeks, and he's had two 30-point performances. And he has still has some good matchups in front of him. So, as far as being a quarterback, anyway, yeah, Brian Tannehill, somebody who's he's he's gonna win you, he's gonna win somebody some championships. Who's been streaming quarterbacks, coming through for you in the big one. A big reason why, who came through for him in the passing game? AJ Brown. Look, AJ Brown's been a boomer bust guy all year long, but it just shows you against the Oakland Raiders. If you have a guy who has the capability to take the top off, who has the physical ability to dominate. They may get that chance against the Oakland Raiders right now. Five catches, 153 yards, two touchdowns on seven targets, by far the most targeted wide receiver. And also goes to show you that A.J. Brown is the number one unquestioned wide receiver of this football team. It's not Corey Davis who only had four targets for two catches and 34 yards. And hasn't been for a long time. Derrick Henry, this is another one we're going to have to watch. Look, he had a great fantasy game. 18 carries, 103 yards, two rushing touchdowns, and he did a lot of that while being banged up because he definitely aggravated his hamstring at some point in the first half. He played through it all the way up until about the beginning of the fourth quarter, and then Vrabel took him out. And it happened on a run. If you didn't watch the game, it happened on a run where Derrick Henry got to the second level, but instead of sticking his foot in dirt and shifting up and going to that extra gear that Derrick Henry typically does when he hits the open field, when he hits the second level like that, he kind of slowed down. He kind of tried to, you know, did a couple shuffle steps. He wasn't looking to burn past people. He wasn't looking to run somebody over. You can tell that he definitely was afraid to shift it up to an extra gear because he was afraid he was going to completely pop his hamstring. It was obvious that he was worried about that. So at that point, especially since the Titans were able to pull away anyway, they wind up benching him. The silver lining in all of that is that it is more of a precaution benching because he played on it after the injury and was still effective on it after the injury. So you can look at it as more of a precautionary move, but this is something we're going to have to watch in the practice reports moving forward. As far as the Oakland Raiders side goes, Derek Carr, 263 yards, two touchdowns. He's not somebody you're going to stream, but Darren Waller continues to get his targets without Hunter Renfro around anymore. Six targets, six catches, 73 yards. Tyro Williams, again, touchdown dependent. He's a low-end wide receiver three who's touched on the pennant. Three catches, 35 yards, four targets. That, too consistently, seems to be his stat line when he does not score. Too consistently. As far as the other fantasy aspect to take out of this game, Josh Jacobs wound up being a late inactive. Had practice in limited capacity all week. Wound up being a game-time decision. Wound up being a scratch. Because, apparently, he's technically dealing with a broken shoulder. So the question is going to be, what do you do now? Because this is a rookie running back. This is somebody you expect to be in your future. You're probably not going to make the playoffs at this point now that you lost to Tennessee. 
So I'm not saying they're definitely looking to just shut Josh Jacobs down, but what I am saying is that DeAndre Washington, if he wasn't picked up this week, and in a lot of leagues he probably wasn't because Josh Jacobs was playing in the 4 o'clock hour, he's going to be one of the number one pickups of the week, without a doubt. Him and Jalen Richard, because... Look, while Jalen Rashard wasn't as involved, DeAndre Washington was the lead back. He had 14 carries, 53 yards. He had the rushing touchdown. He also tacked on six catches, 43 yards on seven targets. He was more involved in the passing game than I expected him to be. They do like Jalen Rashard, and he was involved to some degree. He had nine touches total in this game, while DeAndre Washington had, I believe, a 20 in total because of the receptions that he had, which I don't expect that to be the case. I don't expect DeAndre Washington to be a guy who's going to get 20 touches most of the time. But he does have that capability. We'll see what happens with Josh Jacobs. We don't know as of right now, but just be prepared. Look at DeAndre Washington. Look at Jalen Richard. All right, that's going to wrap up the show for today. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We had a lot we had to get through. Tomorrow, we will be back with the Sunday night, the Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report. Remember to follow me on social media at MDSFF Show on Twitter, at MDFF Show on Facebook, or on the website www.mdffshow.com, but we'll also have the rankings up hopefully sometime early Thursday afternoon for you at the latest. I'm Dan Mater. I hope you guys all have a lovely night. I hope if you have a matchup in Monday night's game to help you win, I hope you guys do so listening to MD Nation, and we will talk about it tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.